I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Goals podcast. Today's episode is very, very special. We are covering some very emotional topics, um, some very unique topics that have not been covered on the show so far. So I'm very excited about that. So let me start by introducing the focus and the guests of this episode. Alyssa Romeo and Adam Foley. So basically, the episode is focused on concepts discussed in Adam and Alyssa's book, Holy Love. Uh, so concepts like soul level love, learning to commune with our soul and using it to improve our relationships. We explore at length the concepts of soul, ego, divine and love, the interplay between soul and ego and how it impacts our life, how it impacts the way we show up in the world. The experiences that led Adam and Alyssa down the path of spiritual exploration and how their marriage and the love they share has helped them connect on a soul level and build a deeper understanding of a love that transcends the uh, usual social conventions and expectations of a romantic relationship. And hearing this couple talk, you will get an insight into what love like that can do for you, how it can uplift and enrich you. That was honestly my favorite part of recording this episode. It was being in the presence of their love. I Obviously, I enjoyed learning from them, but I was especially delighted in watching them interact and hearing about their story so far, their life together. It was honestly um, a cleansing, positive experience and chipped away some of my cynicism, I think, around marriage and romantic love. So I, I loved it. Now, let me share a little bit more about our guests, Alyssa Romeo and Adam Foley. They are the authors of Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships and co-hosts of the Holy and Human podcast. Alyssa is a licensed marriage and family therapist and intuitive and the author of Meet Your Soul. Adam is a certified somatic practitioner and yoga instructor who uses spiritual coaching, somatic healing, and his own intuitive abilities to connect people to their soul. Together, they help individuals awaken and deepen their soulful nature within a relationship. They use practical stories from the trenches of everyday life, their personal spiritual experiences, and examples from their work with thousands of couples to teach sacred partnership. You will learn a lot more about them during this very intriguing, very exciting conversation. So let's dive in. Can I start by asking, though, uh, what led to this book? What led to you to doing this together? And what was that like? What's the experience been like? You know, it's funny because there's almost two answers to this because there's kind of what it looks like in the world, how we got to it. And then I think there's the destiny of that. It was always kind of trying to happen in a different way because what on this level, it was our own relationship. We had a lot of really <laughs> intense spiritual things happen in the beginning of our relationship and openings. And we learned a lot through each other and the experience of that. My whole idea of relationships changed with Adam because he was capable of meeting me and going to that place intuitively. And I'd never had that in a relationship. So it was um, challenging and also really exciting 
because it was like, oh, I can be met on this level. But just physical worlds, like my backgrounds, I'm a marriage and family therapist, licensed, you know, Jungian type of the work of Carl Jung was a lot of my background. And I've sat with many, many couples. I'm also a very practical person. So I think I'm always looking for tools to help people that will make sometimes abstract, esoteric, big concepts really accessible and very applicable to their lives. So I think, and, and, and Adam is a natural writer, you know? So I think in some ways it was like our, our wiring and. Well, also, uh, you know, my stay in India had a huge influence on me, uh, which you'll know about from reading the book a little bit. And I think that Hindu philosophy really, really rubbed off on me. And this idea that we all have this divine essence that we all have this uh, soul. And so I was really interested in that and really drawn to that um, idea. And the more that you, I think what was specifically about Hinduism that grabbed me was this idea that the more you know yourself, the, the more you will discover the divine. So it's less of a seeking divine out there and more of a inward journey. It can be both, of course, but is that inward journey part that really caught me that mystical part. And uh, so I think when I met Elisa, I was really I really had that foundation, that idea that we all have our egos, our idea of who we think we are. And then we all have our soul, this deeper layer, this essence of us, this eternal sense. And so it seemed very almost practical to just to just apply that to relationship. So now if we just see relationship through that lens of that we all have an ego and we all have a soul then we can really see all of our interactions whether it's romantic relationship or friendship or co-workers as either relating an egoic level or on a soul level and then how can we start working to really attune to that soul level with each other so that that to me was the the essence that birthed the book we like to define ego when we start saying ego because people have different interpretations of what that means. So for us, ego is also psychological in that interpretation in terms of the ego is who we think we are. So we see it like the iceberg, the part that's above the surface, but then under the surface, there's also, it's the same entity, but you might not know that's who you are. And that's like where our dreams come from and kind of sometimes reactions or things that are held in our body in terms of trauma or history. So we consider in relationship, it's not just the part above the surface. That's what so many different methods or relationship work is about, is how did you feel? What did you say? What happened? And that's important. Like you were saying earlier before we started recording, like the red flags or just kind of the basics. And you have to have the basics before you do the deeper work. So that's like really important. But also it's also real what's under the surface. And it also, that affects everything in the relationship. So um, we just think it's important. And like, we hear people say over and over in sessions when we're doing individual sessions, like, or with couples, like, the thing I want most is to be really seen. I think we're all just looking to really be seen. And what does that mean? And that place people are talking about, about wanting to be seen and loved is on a soul level. It's the place where we're irreplaceable. It's the place where we're totally unique, where we can't, 
be exchanged for someone who has yeah. more money or looks better or whatever. It's love. It's it's we want to be loved for our, our true selves. So that's really what at the end of the day is the book's about is how do we do that? How do we not get caught up in our ego, which sometimes thinks it wants something that's not necessarily actually what we need? Okay, I have a question here. But before that, you are actually very right. And I think this is something that would resonate hugely with people in India. When I decided and actually declared that I'm not going to get married uh, and told my parents that because in India, arranged marriage is big. And when I didn't, uh, you know, bring home someone, my parents were like, so we're going to find you something. And the thing that really put me off that whole concept was that if someone does choose to be with me in an arranged marriage concept, he'll be okay with being with someone else who checks the same boxes. Because that's what arranged marriage is really about. I'm, I'm sure there is more to it. I'm sure that it's not that simple. I'm sure people look for more. They look for chemistry and they look for a connection that goes beyond that surface. But still, that is essentially what the concept is. And that's what's so off-putting about it, that you could be replaced by someone who can provide X, Y, Z things that you're providing this person. And this is so beautiful, what you brought up, that yes, we want to be... Anyways, no matter what the relationship is, we want to be seen, we want to be understood, even professionally, that's what we're looking for, to have someone appreciate that unique element that we bring to our work. But in love, I think it just, it's, it, you know, it gives you goosebumps when you talk about it, because it's on a whole other level, considering all the dimensions that there are and the many, many ways you connect with this person. If they can see your soul, that would be incredible, which yeah. is why yeah. this book is such a gift. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I mean, j just I want to say like, that's so um, brave of you to do that, you know, and really to listen to what your heart's saying there and your intuition. And that absolutely is the voice of soul. You know, we really say when we talk about those two different layers, that egoic layer and that soul layer, that egoic layer is what you're talking about. Yeah is that part that's based off of characteristics, Yes, you know? And so if somebody's trying to match us up with somebody else, even if it's like, it's an arranged marriage or even if it's just a blind date, you know, and they're like, Hey, I think you might like this person. Cause you know, they have similar hobbies and they, you know, look physically maybe how you want them to look and, and all these things, but those are all egoic traits. It's also what uh, a lot of dating websites use, you know? But I don't think, you know, I think there can be an element of destiny in those processes. We're not opposed to um, arranged marriages or dating websites. You know, I think right. there, there can be miracles there, but it's really, really important that you stay connected to your essence and yourself. I think the workplace example is also such a great metaphor, because I think if we're in a job where we feel like we can just be replaced there can be this feeling of kind of like, what's the point? Like, why, why is it me here? You know, it could be anybody. Why am I spending my time doing this? And I think we're all craving that recognition of the, our uniqueness, yeah. even with our friendships. Yeah. And, uh, and so the way we navigate life, how we make that shift from that egoic relating to that soul relating is starting to listen to the intuitive voice over the voice of the shoulds. So our egoic voice is like what we should do. What's the do job we should get? What's practical? What's rational? Or what do Who our parents we... want us to yeah. do? Or what is our family saying is the right thing? What culturally is around us as the standard of what we should do. Uh, so we can have a lot of thoughts that misguide us. But are we able to stop? 
take a breath, put a hand on our heart and drop down into that intuitive voice. So I think that's that's truly amazing that you were able to do that. And uh, I'm excited for your, I your love, path. What's next? <laughs> I love that you shared that because I mean, I think that brings up so many there's so many topics in what you yeah. just said. My I'm Italian. My grandparents were arranged marriage and it was not a good arranged marriage. Right. You know, it was in some ways political and um, hard and and actually even violent. So um, my dad grew up as like a product of that, you know, and so culturally kind of made sense to him. And he didn't have an arranged marriage. In fact, his marriage was very much not what people would have chosen for him. And and my mom came from a different culture. So it was kind of like shocking to everybody at the time. Um, but when I was a teenager, my dad would say sometimes, um, I wish I could just pick for you because I think I'd do so much better than you're doing <laughs> in terms of, which is probably true at that time. There is something to when someone cares and loves you and just has more wisdom. Sometimes they see things you don't, especially when yeah, you're a teenager. But then it's also what's my own process as a soul? Like, what did I have to go through to learn to be able even to write this book? Like a lot of those things that I went through are the product of how I could even value Adam and see Adam because I really understood the contrast. But I think what you're also talking about is like the cultural component of like, and this can happen in so many different ways, whether we're talking about arranged marriage or changing a job that a family, like if it's a family job everybody's done forever and they're passing it on to their kids and there's pressure from birth you're gonna like do this job when you're older or whatever but anytime yeah you step out of cultural kind of tradition and you listen to your soul around something that everyone else has opinions on it's it's intense it's a lot of pressure because there is also reasons for traditions right and there's also yeah. reasons that there's benefits to that system but also culture is generally an evolutionary process. So, so things shift, uh, you know, on a global and, you know, country level all the time. And it's birth pains, you know, growing pains, there's growing pains as that happens. But it, yeah, I love that you shared that story. But I think also what we see, because it depends, we don't have rules about things. We look at the individual soul and what they're doing because I have also seen destiny in arranged marriages. Like a lot of our clients are from I'm India. Sure, yeah. And and so sometimes the soul orchestration or contracts are around our egos didn't know each other and we were put together in this way. And sometimes the journey is more individualistic, like in your case where it's like, no, I need to know it myself and do it myself and choose it in that way in order to know what I need to know and learn love in this lifetime in the way that I'm trying to understand consciousness and love. We can take our resistance to something like an arranged marriage and turn that also into shoulds. Like I should not have an arranged marriage, right, you know, and right. have it still come from an egoic rational place. So we're really, we are really about no dogma and no rules on spirituality and more just discovering listening. your, yeah, it's more about listening to yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. Which can be hard to do when we have a lot of ideas. We all have ideas. We, we all have yeah. ideas of yeah. what we think. And yeah. that's the ego, what we think is right or wrong for us. And some of those ideas are correct. And some of those ideas might not be correct. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, I was only allowed to put forth that idea and get my parents to be okay with it was that reassurance that if I meet someone who makes sense to me, then I will consider it. That was the only way because I said not going to get married ever. And they're like, we're not okay with that. So I had to give them that reassurance. And she's like, but how are you going to know? And I'm like, I would know. I'll just know. 
because I've always been a very solitary person. I've always loved my own company and I've always believed that people bring noise with them because, you know, they have their thoughts, they have their feelings and it's, it's a lot of noise. That's how I've, I don't know if that makes sense. I've never shared it before. Uh, absolutely. But yeah. It, it's you're not. It is. It's a lot. Of, and work and work, right? It's well, any relationship. could be has, fun. I think if you get off on challenges yeah. like I do, work can be fun. But it's like yeah. you're not competing with other people. You're competing with my solitude. And my solitude is when I'm at my happiest. And isn't like, mm. like that's, I never appreciated this before I read your book, but that's, mm. I was always talking about connecting with someone on a soul level so that I don't have to mm-hmm. feel the weight of that noise pushing into my solitude. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does depend on your partner. I mean, one, it sounds like you really know yourself, which is great because, you know, th- that's great for relationship, but with Adam, it has felt different than with any other person in that way. Like it doesn't feel like we're together all the time. We work together. We yeah. raise children together. And guess what? Every spare Write second I have, guess where I want to be with Adam. Yeah. And Beautiful. and it's like, it's it's. I didn't feel that way in other relationships. So sometimes that soul connection does yeah. change how you feel about you know. Not and, to say you don't need solitude. Yeah. And, you know, but yeah. And I'm an you know an introvert naturally. Like I'm somebody who also likes my solitude time. And we've also, you know, your story makes me think of um, a client once and they were thinking about coming out to one of our retreats. And she was like, I don't know if I can do that because I'm, I'm used to this one on one work, but I'm really feel uncomfortable with the larger group. She also literally was diagnosed with social anxiety disorder. Oh. So it's like yeah. she was very anxious about being around people. Yeah. But also, I think she was just an empath, which I mostly think you might be as well, which is that just that ability to pick up and read other people's baggage and what's going on. And that can be an intense experience to have running all the time. But what we said to her is we're like, we feel like in this group, when you come out here, you actually won't feel that feeling because all these people are very, have been doing the self-work. They've been doing, you know, months and months of sessions and they're self-aware and they're in touch with their soul. And she came out and she didn't experience that at all. So I think often we can, often our intuition, the way it speaks to us is when we're with somebody and they give us an uncomfortable feeling or anxiety or something feels just off. I would say that can be, you know, the voice of soul. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, you both are inspiring because, and I really hope what Alyssa said, I hope our listeners made a note of it because a lot of people, when this conversation comes up about, especially when it's about, marriage not just dating people often say that oh but we'll we'll give each other plenty of space we won't see each other as much and things will be fine and i'm like that is what what's the point then that is not how you should go into a relationship hoping that there is enough space and hoping that you don't see each other often enough for you to notice the bad side to one another because then what is then you're forcing yourself and that's what happened when the pandemic, uh, when the lockdown started and people were forced to spend so much time with each other. Suddenly it was like you're with a stranger. And to me, that's yes, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's when a lot of people here in America were like, we're, we're getting divorced <laughs> as this is happening. And I think it's like um, the the four relationships, our method we talk about in Holy Love, it can help anyone in any situation, though, for those people, I think our methods like groundbreaking because then you start to really 
It's almost the wisdom of no escape. If you're trapped with a person, it's the perfect time to start to think, how do I know them on an ego level? And what is their soul? And what is my soul telling me about why I'm with this person, what I'm meant to learn here, how I can self-care my ego self, which is important, just my human self. But also, what does my intuition want me to really know about what I'm learning on a spiritual level about like why this is happening and what's being born and grown through me at this time. So um, even if someone's in an arranged marriage listening and you're feeling kind of isolated in your marriage, I would still recommend trying some of the tools and practices from the book because it can help any situation, especially if there's alienation or distance. And, you know, sometimes if there's abuse or some real toxic stuff, the information from soul might be to leave, you know, which can be a hard information to get. Um, But my dad had that. I mean, he grew up with, you know, his challenging parents. And when he was in college, uh, his intuition and working with a therapist, it came to like, you need to move far away. Like for you to get healthy and to kind of survive this, you have to kind of get unmeshed from this unhealthy toxic dynamic. And thank God he did that because I benefited from, from that, you know, I think. So yeah, Yeah. sometimes it doesn't look just spiritual, like everything's all good. And we're all, you know, looking like it's all, I was going to say kindness. I mean, well, I I think think one way to describe it is like, uh, I, you know, of course, there's a close correlation, I think, between our work and like bhakti yoga, you know, like this idea of like finding God through love. Yes. And I used to think that that was more entering into sort of this spiritual state of just being an unconditional love all the time, you know, that was like the state of constant forgiveness of like the, you know, negative actions towards you and things like that. But over time, I realized that it's, it's actually more nuanced, because what does the the actual voice of love say in the moment? Does the actual voice of love say, hey, you're supposed to just be blind and tolerate, you know, abusive behavior? Or does the actual voice of love get angry and say, I got to get out of here. And, and so voice, you know, I used to think love was PC, you know, was like, you know, and, uh, but I really think uh, love can get angry, love can get sad, love can feel grief, love has deep running emotions. And even if these emotions are complicated, they still are our pathway to the divine. I really think if you if you really listen to each of your deep emotions uh, through your and pair it with your intuition of how to work through it, that there's a natural process happening to all and of it's, those. And it's discernment, right? Because not every time we feel reactively annoyed or angry, that's not necessarily our soul's information. That might be ego programming or a history of trauma, but the there's something it's like peeling the layers off and you're like, Ooh, that really made me mad. Why? <laughs> What's right. behind that? What, what does love want me to know about how I'm experiencing this? And cause sometimes, yeah, anger's there to wake us up for our like stepping towards our authority or, you know, something we know. Well, there's egoic anger and there's soulful anger and egoic anger is from reactivity is in a victim mode is uh, not connected to a bigger source of us all being connected. And soul anger comes from when somebody is blocking their ability to love themselves or love each other. 
And there's a feeling of like, hey, I wish we could really take this barrier off of you because it's blocking you from knowing yourself. Yeah, because maybe somebody's narcissistic and they're kind of just like to abuse waiters and like to feel better than people when they're ordering food or working, you know, and then that's like, okay, that's not coming from your soul. Then you're like, why are you stuck in this kind of flimsy ideal of yourself and who are you really as love? But I think for a lot of people, it's also kind of a little tap on the shoulder of like, you're angry because there's something meaningful here to you. There's something deeper you're meant to be looking at and investigating. Yeah. Before we go any further, I feel like people who have a religious inclination would definitely appreciate this book so much more. Uh, I'm religious. I got that, like, I could appreciate it on a very, like, visceral level. But for someone who isn't religiously inclined, you can still appreciate the concept of soul, right? So can we, like, clear out this one subject? What is soul that we are taking on all of the topics that we're going to take on today? Secondly, is this conversation aimed at a particular audience or how people who are not religiously inclined can appreciate what it is that we are talking about? Because, yes, divine is a big part of it. Um, But I believe that this is for everyone what we are talking about here. I do too, but I think I I I mean my story's so weird where I mean what brought me to this work so deeply was I had an out of body experience. And after that out of body experience and you know my dad was he kind of identified as atheist, you know? So I was raised in a family he's a biochemist, my mom's a mathematician, very analytical. He was raised Catholic, he was a man of science, he was a scientist and so he never found his way with like how those two things could go together. So he was kind right. of an angry he was like a naturally intuitive guy who never had good modeling or was shown how you can actually just have both. You can be a man of science and you can also have a connection to the divine and those things don't have to be at odds, but he never was shown that. So, um, so he was kind of cynical about anything that had anything to do with anything beyond the physical world, you know, that you couldn't just prove in a science experiment. Yeah. And then I was born this little mystic, naturally, having kind of psychic things happen to me since I was five, six years old. And but also I'm an intuitive person of I can tell, read from others, oh, this is not okay for you to be knowing these things or talking about these things. There's something dangerous about what you're saying to us. It's threatening our paradigm. And so I could feel that at a young age, like, oh, there's certain things I'm not supposed to talk about because it's triggering my parents for some reason. Um, So I think, you know, we, but because of my out-of-body experience, what happened to me is I left my physical body and I saw like my face and my shirt. And it was so shocking to me because first there was that I'm experiencing myself as consciousness, not in my body. So then it brings the question, well, what does that mean about consciousness? So I'm going to go on after my body's gone, which was a shocking realization. And then having what's known kind of as a life review, which is like a movie of your life from everyone's experience throughout your life. And and it widens your perspective of who you think you are as an ego, because then you're like, oh, Elisa thought she was so smart understanding everything, including spirituality. But the real Elisa... My soul part understands Elisa is limited by her ego. All of us as egos just we're a little bit have less access to everything all the time because of the nature of the ego. Um, And I could feel then all my answers to every question being answered on that side. It was like I I see it like the 
internet where you just type in a question, whatever, and then it's immediately answered. Anything I was asking was immediately known, just like a known, the a feeling of I know this more than anything else. And then when I came back into Elisa, I could feel my consciousness getting dumber and dumber as I was kind of going back into the limitations of my human self. And it put in me a desire to have a practice, spiritual practice, to connect to that part of myself. And that didn't come through some religion. I mean, it was just who my experience of who I was. It wasn't coming through some dogma training of Christianity or whatever, you know, any form in that sense for me. I was raised Unitarian, which is a very open, progressive kind of believe what you want as long as it's not hurting other people and we don't push our beliefs on other people. Um, And some people say it's not even a religion. It doesn't qualify as a religion. It's more of a philosophy. But so after that experience, it had opened up my third eye, my sixth chakra, and I could see everybody's souls around them. So that's just my reality now since then is like, I don't have the luxury of not knowing this. And I think the luxury, because sometimes it's a little bit like, overwhelming. you know, it puts you in a position. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can't kind of, so for the first year after I was very socially weird with people and I didn't know how, cause I was like seeing their soul and hearing their love self telling me telepathically what I was supposed to say to them. And then Elisa's like, I don't want to say that. I don't want to be put in that position or have that responsibility all the time. So how do I act with people? What's my friendships? How do I act with sessions with clients? And so I just, you know, hid a lot the first year. And you could probably feel how culturally taboo it is. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a lot because it it makes you question, you know, people have beliefs around that even is possible or who are you or what are you, you know, there's just so many things it brings up. Yeah, definitely. We came to all of our, the things that we know through direct experiences. You know, I didn't believe in reincarnation until I had a past life memory and, (laughs) and, and then after I had a past memory, past life memory, like, like Elisa said, it's almost this feeling of like no return. You know, it's like, I would prefer to, to remain neutral, you know, (laughs) and, and to, and to say neutral spiritual statements. But the fact is, is that I've had these experiences, but you know, we could, we, you could replace the word divine with unconditional love. That's what we use those words interchangeably in our book. You could replace the word soul with, um, your true essence, your truest divine spark. Uh, you know, often we work with people that, are atheists or they're non-religious agnostic um and so we teach we you can still do this work you don't actually need to believe in any of it to do the work most of us say to people just fake it till you make it so we say just try some of these intuitive exercises and see what comes through because most of us have had at one point in our life some type of spiritual experience or intuitive experience where we feel like we suddenly just know something, you know, like, like you, for instance, if you're, you know, somebody's presented to you in an arranged marriage, you're like, I just know this is not going to match up. You don't have any rational way you could explain yeah. how you know that you yeah. can't explain to your parents how you know that through charts and figures. And, you know, uh, you could try, you could try, <laughs> but, <it probably> um, <laughs> but there's a part of you that just knows. So that's the in- intuition. So we just really encourage people to start there. It's like, you don't need to figure out what our philosophy is or what your philosophy is. All you need to do is just start with your intuition, start strengthening that 
that intuitive muscle and start listening more and more and see where that leads you. Our beliefs come from our ego. So if we have a belief, um, again, sometimes that's true according to our soul. And sometimes it's just an ego belief we thought was true until we had an experience that shattered that belief, you know? Yeah. So I think that's why we're totally okay with people being skeptical and not knowing because we're still in that process. I think as long as we're humans, we're, you know, on the earth, we're in a process of we think things that we think are true that may or may not be totally true. So it's kind of coming a little bit with a scientific method, an idea of like, well, try it, fake it till you make it, see what happens. And because a lot of people are just shocked once they start to talk to their soul or meditate and connect to that part. And they're like, wow, I really started crying. I really saw something energetically. I didn't know this about myself. That's just so, such a common story. But yeah, I think you have to be willing to kind of explore in order to then have those experiences. But for people who are like, you know, cynicism, I think, is our intimacy issues with the divine. So if someone's cynical, um, we'll say just start with fake pretending it's not real. Honestly, I when I started my psychic training program that I went through, I was so cynical because I had my dad's programming in me. So I was really even angry. And it was a weird thing because I knew these things were true. I was having psychic experiences that were verified by other things that were just proving it. But my programming was still like, this isn't possible. And so I was getting like migraines because I was really torn internally about well, what do I believe? What is the reality? What is this world? You know, um, and it took a couple years to really get to a place where that had less pressure on it. And I still have that part of me that's doubting. We all have that little doubting part of us. Yeah. Um, of so it's, it's not about even, you know, eradicating that voice. I think it's more about identifying it and then nurturing. What does it need? Cause usually it needs love. Usually there's something behind that voice that's wounded and has pain. Yeah, it makes sense. Everything you said and what Adam said, love in itself is, uh, I think, uh, an experience of soul to lay down your life for someone that you didn't know till like a year ago or to like a few months back. That's that's love that comes from the soul. It, it's not you can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, so that that helps. But I have to ask you, like, I have asked a lot of like there have been guests on the show before that I've asked this question to, but I've never asked a couple who has confess that they spend all their time with each other and still want more <laughs> so i have to yes. ask two questions here what according to you would a healthy relationship look like if someone is not a part of it what would that look like to the third person and you are both in in a lot of like you have spiritual alignment and compatibility with each other you clearly have ideologies that you share i think that le lends a lot of strength to a relationship but in the absence of that can a relationship flourish? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. You know, it's we work with couples and often there'll be one partner who is very into this, the work and is is really explorative of like, I want to spend every moment exploring my soul and really getting to know my highest, truest self, where the other partner is kind of like, not interested, you know, just like not even in the realm of their interest, and they don't see any motivation to do that type yeah. of work. And so uh, we work with those couples quite a bit. And often we do see there can be a radical shift even when one partner starts doing that work. Because what they start doing is they start approaching conflicts and challenges from a very different place. And the partner can feel that immediately. And so like if 
if in the past we came to a conflict with an agenda of like, hey, we want to try to fix our partner or we want to really explain how irritating this thing they do is, you know, or really identify the behavior. It's different than coming to it with this real sense of I'm just going to hold this moment in unconditional love and start seeing what happens here to see love more as a process than as an emotion that's either activated or not activated. So there can be a huge, huge shift just from that. A lot of our work, when I think of what's a healthy couple, you know, it's for me, it's again, kind of independent on the couple because what's healthy for one person, one couple might not be something another couple's like capable of yet or whatever. So it's kind of looking at that couple and then looking at like, what are the strengths and what are the challenges for this couple? Uh, We've seen all scenarios where we'll, somebody will approach us and they'll say, Hey, I don't know if I should be with this, you know, person anymore. Like they don't seem like a compatible match. And then when we talk to their intuition, they might get like, actually, yes, this person is supporting you in a way that you can't really see right now, that there's some Mm -hmm. way that they're meeting you that you're unaware of in this moment. Adam and I had um, that at the beginning of our relationship because we both have, we have an age difference. You know, there were, he was going to Los Angeles for his music career and he had a record all set up and all these things. And, and so there was a lot of things and I was in a relationship. So uh, there was a lot of things that were like, no, <laughs> on an ego level, no. Yeah. But then my soul in my journaling and every time I was around him, the feeling was just like, this is your person. You've never been seen or known like this. Like at some point it felt like slapping God in the face to walk away from it because it just right. felt like such an abundance of riches. It was almost like, who am I to say no to this? This is like everything I didn't even think was possible in terms of love on the planet. Like I didn't even think anyone could ever meet me like that. And still we've been together 10 years. It's more and more all the time. Like I still, I remember at the beginning being like, you know, because I was have the psychology training. I was like, is this projection? Are we deluded? Is this going to all pop? And maybe none of this is real. Maybe you're just telling me what I want to hear. And he told me way back then, I'm going to keep surprising you. I'm going to, we're going to, this love's going to deepen over our lifetime. And I was just like, what is this real? You know, and literally that's what's happened. Two yeah. kids later, me almost dying in childbirth. We've, we've been through some real intense things and I can't believe it. I can't believe love like this is available. And But so I wanted to say too that we also see the reverse where somebody will come to us and be like, I found this person there, the perfect person for me. And But then when they check into their intuition, they'll be like, actually, this was all egoic. This was like, right. oh, wow, they're hot. And you know, this yeah. is so exciting. Or and they're they s- telling me what I want to yeah. hear yeah. spiritually. Or they say all the right things, which is what Elisa was worried about. And what me. I had in the past, which is why I was worried, because I had had relationships with kind of narcissistic people who had told me everything I wanted, and then they weren't those things. I don't know if you know about this um, TV show called Tinder Swindler. It's a new documentary, and it's no. about this guy on Tinder it's who on Netflix. he's kind of a con artist, basically, and he yeah, cheated all these women. <laughs> and he tells these crazy lies, like crazy lies. And he got these different women to really fall in love with him and give them all their money. And it's horrible. And but um, it was such an interesting thing from the perspective of ego and soul, because you can feel the women in their you know, doc- speaking about how it happened, like, like I felt something was off, but I just kept falling for the lies. And I think that's what the ego wants to believe versus our intuition. And it's hard to trust that because 
we go through a developmental process of learning to trust our intuition. And a lot of times we're just thrown into the ocean of yeah. relationships without a great kind of map and uh, modeling. So um, it made me so feel so much compassion for them. But I think in terms of a healthy relationship, it's I think it's a couple that understands our method, basically, which is, do you understand if you're coming from ego or soul in your interactions or not? Because the number one challenge we have as humans is, one, trying to solve problems from the energy level in which they're created. So we have a problem and then we stay in that vibrational state trying to find it. And then we ask our friends and we vent about it and we talk about it for yeah. years and years, but from that same energy, instead of just like raising from beta to theta in the brain and asking our higher self, like, what do you think, love? Love, what's your opinion of why I'm stuck in this loophole? And I think the other part is really understanding that like, we all want to be loved and how do we just find an that in each other and and hold that. In parenting, we do that all the time. You know, with kids, there's always, well, you got to do your homework. I want you to do this. You got to learn this skill. How's, you know, are you learning about how to treat your friends with kindness? Like there's so many things you're always trying to help your kids with, but it's also important to just see your kids on a soul level, yeah. like to, to, to feel the, the miracle of them and to, to meet them and, just enjoy and love on that energetic place. And our kids, it's a good example of relationship. They don't like do what we're doing or talk about it in the same way we do, but they benefit from it. And they can also feel at dinner if we just dim the lights, light a candle, put on some music, and we're paying attention to that energy, they'll just flourish. They start to be happy. Everyone can feel love, you yeah. know? So I I think it's something we do very intentional. And so I think a healthy couple is somebody who is mindful of are we in our human doingness or are we in our human beingness? And how do we cultivate and nurture that that being part of us that just it's like we need water, we need air, we need that. We need to be seen and loved on that level. Yeah. All of that is so beautiful. And I especially hope like people make note of what you've shared from your own uh, experience and the advice that you've given out. If some just because someone is saying something you don't want to hear and it's putting you in an uncomfortable place psychologically, it doesn't mean that they're wrong and it doesn't mean you should walk away from that. When you feel challenged and you explore it, I think beautiful things will happen as your own journey has shown us. I think that's so inspiring. Thank you for making that point. But if we were to address people who are who don't have anyone in their life right now and they're looking for love, what do you what element do you think would guide their journey? Because a lot of us, first thing we do is we look for people with common interests. But what we are talking about here goes so further beyond that, right? It's not about yeah. connecting on an ego level. So what should guide this? And it's not that that's a bad thing course, either, right? Yeah. It's like, it's great to have common interests. Yeah. We like to play tennis together. That's fun. But also it's at the end of the day about listening to your intuition and your feelings, because you might like to play tennis with them and have the same value system around how you want to parent kids, but your body might not feel safe with them. You might just feel like something's wrong or off and that's your intuition. Yeah, I think it can be so difficult to be single because we can get really caught in a lot of mental loops. You know, I think one mental loop can be cultural. It's if we feel a lot of pressure, like we should be in a relationship right now. And if we haven't found a relationship on a certain timeline, you know, it's like you should find your relationship by 24 years old or something like that. There's also the reverse. You know, I think sometimes in uh, the U S there's such this focus on, 
your independence and not be and not relying on somebody in a relationship yeah. that that can trip people up where they feel like, well, I should be able to be by myself and single and feel okay about that. So again, it's this thing where there's not really one rule fits all. And it's really about listening to your intuition and really listening to your soul. So before you go on a date, you know, re really asking yourself, does this feel like the right time? for me, for my soul journey, for my unique unfolding? Am I going on this date more because I feel a pressure from society that says I should be going on this date? Or do I feel like this is my natural becoming? Right. This is part of something that's going to help me become more of myself through this process. Intuition is a skill too. And the more you kind of try it, try to know what you think you might not have access to and ask yourself those questions, the more that muscle gets strengthened. So we know we have access to knowing things about each other that we don't even know we know. So even on a blind date, if you're being set up by friends, you could soul journal and ask your soul, how do you feel about this person's energy I'm going on the date with? Because your soul knows that person like can have access to finding them energetically and assessing it, even if you don't know them in the physical world yet. Yesterday, our son went on a walk with my husband and he, um, our son is very psychic and, uh, and I like to test him a lot. Like, what do you think? What do you, <laughs> what do you see with this? And he felt a group of people that Adam knew and that he didn't know. And I just, um, asked him, what did you feel? And he's so psychic. It's hilarious because he just knows things he has no access to. And I think whenever those things happen, it just, it's just wild to me that we have access to this, like such specifics, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's just starting to meet that part of yourself. And so if you're single, that's a great part of yourself to know because it can keep you safe. It can save your time. Um, but also the premise of holy love is that longing in our heart to love and be loved on a, a soul level. It's kind of like that whole thing of how can we find our soulmate if we don't know ourselves as souls? Right. We want that soulmate, right. but most of us don't want to actually know ourselves or each other as souls. It's such a ironic thing. So the book is literally like, yeah, how do you know yourself and the other person yeah. as a soul so that you can assess, is this a match and do I love this? But that longing in your heart is holy. That longing to be seen and to be loved is sacred. And it does connect us to transcendence and to kind of more than this world. So and that longing doesn't need to be placed on a relationship too. I think we should say yeah. that that longing can be a, a deep friendship can be a, a can be even met with a pet like an animal that we really bond with, or can be met through doing a career. Uh, we were doing a session the other day. And I really saw intuitively for this there's this woman who keeps trying relationships on and they keep failing and she's not really sure why. And I really saw her stepping into a community role first, that there was something she needed to be leading some sort of big artistic project for her community first and feel recognized and seen by her community. And that's where she was going to get that long. And sometimes that. for people that's political too, you know, if you're meant yeah. to be an activist in some way or create something in the world in terms of new consciousness, or maybe it's an invention or a art project. But so the similar line that ties it all together is the ability to bring your unique self forth and offer it in front of other people in a way that can actually be truly recognized and seen. Yeah. Would it be okay for me to say, if someone is challenging you in an almost threatening way where they're taking you towards possibilities but that come with no guarantees so that's almost like 
like you both shared, you have had experiences that made it impossible for you to go back to that previous life, which was narrower in its scope. So you could feel threatened, but you, if that threat comes from the idea of the venturing into these unknown avenues, then it's okay to keep going and explore that, right? Absolutely. And I think what all our work is when we're working with a couple, if someone says, I feel threatened in that way, the first thing I'm going to do is psychically look at where is that threat in their body and how, where is it coming from? Because I want to know, is this dangerous as a therapist where it's their intuition telling them no, because sometimes it's that, or is it coming from love and it's love orchestrating an egoic dissolving experience to know yourself is more than your ego, which is what happened to us. We were very threatened. (laughs) In our relationship, there was a lot. I told him in the beginning, don't think we'll ever be together. That was one of the first things I told him, you know? Um, It's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like the ego is dumb, right? The ego is dumb. So, so it's, it's assessing, is this feeling coming from love or fear? And then my soul kept telling me over and over, He's not interested in controlling you like some of your past boyfriends who wanted control over you in a dominating, oppressive way. He loves your soul. So he's holding your feet to the fire. He's holding you accountable to show up as your soul. That felt very threatening to me. I didn't like it. I was used to being loved as my ego and having some kind of power in that in relationship. Like, I want to feel loved on on an ego level. And I I think there's a certain type of specialness. I remember saying to him in the beginning, you don't make me feel special. I'm used to feeling special. And because I think where we meet is so not on an ego place, there was a humbling process of like, you are the most special, but it's not for what you're doing on an ego level. So he kept being kind of a natural biofeedback of like, stop trying, stop acting. And I didn't think I was. So places that I was inauthentic were just melting, which made me feel very humbled and very terrified. Yeah. I think we all say we want love, right? We all say we want that true and absolute (laughs) and biggest love possible. But often what big love brings up in our body is everywhere where we've been resisting love. So all the parts of us that have been kind of hiding and we kind of know it, you know, or have been doing little bits of, you know, subtle manipulative behavior or anything, uh, all that comes to the surface. And it's very humbling because it's like, I remember when we were first in our relationship, it was like, I immediately, uh, saw a part of me that was kind of codependent, you know, and that was just kind of brought up and that wasn't fun to look at. It <laughs> yeah. was like, oh, like this I don't is like this part of myself, um, man, how long have I been doing this? But the only reason I was able to see that was because for the first time I was in a relationship where I didn't feel like I needed to be codependent, where I felt like I actually could be doing whatever and still get that support. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think there can be that that almost terrifying or threatening feeling when the real thing is in front of us and then when it's really happening. I just remember saying over and over when we met, like Adam to me is proof of God because it was so obvious. (laughs) We were so, like it was ridiculously obvious how we were meant for each other to perfectly kind of trigger and heal each other's wounds and that this relationship wasn't about feeling good as an ego, but about turning me into love as a spiritual practice and process. And so I think, and then it helped me knowing Adam bring that level of awareness into all my other relationships. Then like with my mom or, you know, with my 
kids now, because I understand it so clearly, then it's like, oh, we can do this in any of our friendships or anywhere. It's just, are we seeing the soul? I think the reason I need it so clearly with Adam was it was real uh, validation. You know, it was so he was also psychic enough to kind of assess if what I was and wasn't doing. So it gave my ego a lot of feedback of like, what you know is right. You can know this. You can write about it. You can heal people. You can bring this to the world. This is real. This is yeah. true. And I never had it to that degree. I had a, a, a hunch. <laughs> I was telling people I was talking about it, but it wasn't until Adam I was like, oh, wow, love is eternal and unconditional. And we can really find that in each other. Yeah. I think one way to to show an example of that is if we use the example of you and your parents when they're arranging that marriage for you, where they may be coming from a place where they really think that they're doing it from a place yeah. that's for your utmost benefit, course, yeah. where they sure really, they, <laughs> they have this um, egoic idea, um, you know, of- They want her to be safe and happy. Uh, yeah. And, and it comes from a parental desire of like, hey, I want her to have the happiest life. Uh, and so that's their idea of, you know, they, they, have, they have the true love feelings, yeah. but this is how it's coming out as an egoic concept. And so then if you show them real unconditional love back and you're holding that unconditionally, you're holding that energetically for them, they may first have these reactions of, oh, what, I don't, what if that's unsafe? And you know, cause so all their fears come yeah. up, all the fear and anxiety that's behind that decision. That's like, oh, we have to do it this way. Cause otherwise her life's going to be terrible. And you know, like, so they have that story, but if you expose the real love story, that's behind the scene, that's behind everything going on, there's that you can expose that part of them that just wants your happiness. Of course. And so that's one way that their anxieties, that's, I'm just trying to show an example of where big love could trigger yeah. all of those anxieties. That's what you did in that moment. You're like, here's a bigger love. Here's a bigger love story yeah. here. Like, mm. And they were both had probably I'm assuming <laughs> anxious reactions to that, course, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I would say that that's transformative for everybody. And then like any situation, if you continue to connect your intuition and hold it and hold their kind of panic with love, but also your knowingness and the knowingness continues to be strong and clear and not reactive. I know that part's hard. Some days we are reactive, even yeah, if we're, we're trying, humans, you know, we, yeah. you know, so you can have good days and bad yeah. days, but yeah. in general, a progression towards what my intuition is telling me and intuition is just the voice of soul, the voice of love. So it's, it's our highest interpretation of that. And so, um, then people change. I mean, my mom told Adam when we were first together, she like, didn't I do not like accept him or <laughs> like him. And now they're doing, now they do yoga together. So, you know, things can change. Yeah. Like. No, that's, that's very true. You are right. It, it came from a place of anxiety, what my parents were trying to do. And, you know, it doesn't always have to make sense. We've had so many conversations around this topic and everything I want to do with my life. And I can see when they look at me, they don't entirely, because they're very like typical Indian parents who've had a hard life and they had to fight for everything they've built. So they want things to be different for me. But I'm like my father once told me that I always thought that when I have a daughter, she'll be fragile and sweet and kind of timid and just very like, quiet instead he got a daughter who doesn't who barely make sense to him she's too bold and too opinionated and too strong and independent it doesn't make sense to them but i see them like they hold back and i think i make them feel safe with what i'm trying to do with my life 
I don't know if they will ever call that intuition or understanding me on a soul level, but I see that with them because they would never have agreed to me staying single for the rest of my life. And, but they sort of see me in a safe space with what I'm trying to do and they appreciate it. They'll never say it out loud, probably. Yeah. My poor parents, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but it's, they are. It's hard to be yeah. parents because I think what a good parent is is somebody who understands consciousness and evolution evolves through our children. So we are meant to be expanded through yeah. our experience of meeting our child and whether that's what we thought for their marriage or what we thought about what their gender would be or what their career would be. It's an ongoing process of surrendering to who is this soul? And how do I support this soul on the planet instead of my ideas of what I thought my child would be? And I mean, it's hard sometimes, you know, like we go through a shedding process of what we think we wanted to bring to the planet to meeting our child as they are and then loving them. And then you're transformed by that love. If you can stay open and heart to it, it it is a true miracle to witness like where these miracles came from. But my dad and I had a similar story in that he was our sole contract. It was like that we, he could never validate me on an ego level, which was really frustrating to Elisa. And, um, when I had my out of body experience in my life review, it was very clear why I chose him as a father in terms of his inability to mirror me in that way. And what was so frustrating to me was actually chosen by my soul so that I had to know myself strongly internally that way. It really built that spiritual knowing in me because he couldn't ever see me as like a mystic. Um, So in the book, there's this chapter uh, on the soul to soul relationship. There's a exercise called mystic Mad Libs that might be interesting for you to do with your parents, just not with your parents necessarily, but with on the topic topic of your parents, because it just it's a deepening of why you orchestrated with both of them and this challenge in this lifetime. What are you learning on a soul level through the experience of this contrast of them not understanding you in this way so sometimes that tension you know and conflict is supposed to uh birth into a new understanding with each other but sometimes it's it's more supposed to it's orchestrated to kind of uh maybe make a split or independence or some you know that there's some reason why we have a bully in our lives or an adversary or something that like that boss like maybe there's a situation where we have a boss that's constantly sort of demeaning to us and on the egoic level we're just so angry at them um but then on a soul level it actually got us to break away from that job to become our own boss and so there can be orchestration in those things as well I think it's a lot about relinquishing control, like a lot about not constantly being in a position of power in your life. Like I would say that you need to have like a safe place within yourself, have abundant self-love and acceptance. But as you said, you can find that even as you are exploring all of those unknown possibilities, giving up control for that little while as you explore things and find a whole other way to feel a sense of power in your life. Yeah. We have a chapter about inner child work because all of this work requires we have a safe place within ourselves to kind of find sanctuary and orientation and love. And we all need more love for our inner child because none of us were perfectly parented, even in the best of situations, there's places we weren't seen or married. So, and that's the places that come out immediately in relationship. That's the part we start to project first on our partners. So that's why it's important to kind of look at our own trash cans 
<laughs> and start to take it out piece by piece and, you know, sort it all. Nobody likes that work. That's why it's called shadow work, because it's like it's not fun necessarily yeah. to start to dig into our trash can. But what it does is it, it lessens up the trash and it helps us to kind of feel and know ourselves more as love. And I think it's an ongoing practice, right? It's just like any other practice where yeah. it's just like even if people come from abusive homes, because I have worked in really intense situations with people who were molested and people who wanted to commit suicide. That's like my background. So it, horrifying situations where with a lot of trauma and they didn't have modeling of healthy love in their lives. They didn't yeah. have good families they came from. And even those situations, we, because of our divine spark and that but we came from love, we go back to love. So all of us, even in the darkest of situations have an ability, we are souls having a human experience so we have this ability to tap into that part of ourselves. And with kids, we'll just do it very much with imagination. We don't say there's a concept of soul and God. You know, I mean, we'll just say, like, think of an animal you love. Oh, I love my bunny at school. OK, we're going to talk to Bun Bun. We're going to pretend we're going to play an imaginary game that Bun Bun loves you more than you've ever been loved. And Bun Bun is wise and knows everything. And now let's start to talk to Bun Bun. And this magical thing occurs that we have the placeholder of soul on the bunny or whatever. That's why we don't care if you use the word soul or divine or any of it. Yeah. It's just do it. It doesn't matter what your words love, are. Love, love, whatever. You start to talk. Yeah. I always say there's such a difference of talking about love. What do we think about love? Da, 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 da. And then we're in our head versus let's talk to love. Now we have a symbol that's holding the energy of love and we're having an active presence relationship with that energy. And then love can transform us and then grace can descend upon our lives. And then we start to have access to things we normally would never have access to. And kids start to say then the most wise thing about their parents who are stuck in a gang, like I've literally had that conversation with 13-year-olds, they're raised in a gang and it's their way of knowing things. And suddenly they're like, it's hard to break out of this gang system, but I have now the steps of how to start to break away from that. You know, it's like wild because if I tell them, here's what you should do, they shut off. They don't want to listen. But if I ask them the questions and prompt them to find that internally, now they get it. Now the light bulbs are going off, you know? Yeah. So we all have this ability, whether you think it or not, it's actually not as hard as it seems, but it is about doing it. It is about talking directly to the energy and love in some form and doing that as an ongoing practice. Because if you do it once a year, that's how much information you'll get. And if you do it regularly, it starts to become really obvious. In a way, whenever we talk to soul, we're doing inner child work because we're talking to the voice of unconditional love. And so we're taking a moment and often that voice, the first thing it says is how to take care of ourselves. What we'll do I need like, today? Be like, uh, you know, I'll use the word big love for now. So we encourage people to, to give their soul a name because it can be so hard to, to grab onto that information, to locate it. So just creating a symbol. So, uh, you can call any name you want, but that name has to represent unconditional, all-knowing love to you. Yeah. So if we call that, you know, for this example, big love, and we say, hey, big love, I'm feeling really weird today. What's going on? Big love might say something back like, take a bath and go for a walk. You know, right. it may be very simple. It may not be some Breathe radical information that's like the yeah. purpose of your life <laughs> is to do this, or it can be sometimes just very that divine love can sometimes just be self-care. 
you know, like that, that is extremely healing. And uh, especially in relationships, right? We're like, why is this bothering me so much? You know what they're doing, big love and big love might say something back like, oh, that's really triggering, triggered your abandonment wound. And that's up right now. That's on the surface. So first you need to take three breaths and then reassess the situation. So this information could be very practical and very um, useful and very healing for <laughs> yeah. that, that inner child piece. We use it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We still get triggered. Yeah. And then you ask, why am I triggered? And yeah. like, what do I do? What are the steps? And sometimes it's really moment by moment of how to deescalate to then get a greater picture later of like, what, why is this happening? Or those more existential questions. Yeah. Usually I ask for resources, but I think this is pretty good. I, I, the book in itself is a pretty comprehensive resource, I think. Uh, and I think I'll direct people to your, all the other content you've created. But apart from that, do you want to, because we all crave practicality. This is such a concept where you have to really open your mind and your heart to all the possibilities. But we, despite that, we always crave steps, a degree of practicality that at least allows us to take that first make that first move towards it so anything practical that can help people access their intuition yeah uh well first there's always the practice of just stopping and just taking a breath i think all this can sound so complicated <laughs> right and it can be so much information and it can feel a little daunting all all of it so one of the simplest practices is to just stop put a hand on your heart take a few breaths and just see if you can feel that your heart of hearts, that core in your heart, your essence, and just say hello to that voice. And just ask love, you know, just ask it, say, like, what do I need right now? So that's, that's the most simple, condensed, you know, practical thing you can do right today. But our the four relationship method, uh, we really wanted to make this accessible and practical because we're parents, we're busy, we're stressed. We know that life is crazy. We're not expecting people to be able to meditate 30 hours a week, you know. Yeah. And so we really tried to break it down. And we were trying these exercises with clients throughout the years. And anything that didn't work or that just took longer, we were like, this is out. You know, we really wanted it to be efficient. So the way the four relationships work is you can just take any interaction, anything that's going on in your life. Um, this is more focused on, you know, relationship conflicts, but it can be intimate or with, you know, coworkers or friends. Yeah. And you just go through the four relationships. So the first relationship is our ego to ego relationship. And so first just identify, hey, what what's my egoic interpretation of what's going on in this moment? My egoic interpretation is, man, this person is really annoying and they're really, you know, getting on my case and there's, you yeah. know, and I just can't stand them and I, you know, want them to get out of here. And also their human interpretation, yeah. right? How, what, how do they classify or what's their narration of what they think is and, happening? And, and not to say that that is only limited because there's also, that's also a skill of how to do that well of, uh, yeah. you know, in that egoic realm would also be just reflective listening. Just the ability to be like, hey, what is your egoic interpretation of what's happening? And what's my ego? Was there misunderstanding? What did you mean yeah. by that word? Oh, this is just a misunderstanding. kind well, of. Well, so you first just get your egoic story straight. What's going on in the monkey mind? And then you switch to the second relationship, which is your your personal relationship with your own soul. So this is your own ability to access your own intuition, your own ability to talk to love, your own unique version of love. So then you can check in with that self. That's the hand on the heart self, the soul self of just saying, 
hey, Sol, what's going on right now? What do you want me to know? And Sol might say something like, hey, there's actually an important lesson here for you or or actually, uh, hey, get get out of there right now. You know, get out of this room. This is not good for you. So yes. to yeah. then go to that relationship. And then the third relationship is your ego to their soul. So then after you've checked in with your own internal wisdom, after you've aligned with that, you can turn to their wisdom and be like, what's going on with them on a soul level? And you can journal to try to get that information intuitively. And that's my favorite relationship and relationships, because I think that's where miracles happen, because we really have our own limited ideas of why someone's doing some something. But when you really feel into their soul and ask, why are they doing this? It's often really shocking and and information that comes through that also helps you be more compassionate to where their wound is. It, it, it expands the lens so that yeah. we're not just reacting for our own yeah. power, but we're like, oh, we really are seeing where and how and why they're trapped. So let's and how say, we can help them. Let's say one morning Elisa is really anxious, you know, and she comes and she just like yells at me for some reason, <laughs> you know. And so my egoic interpretation is, whoa, Elisa's super angry at me. You know, like I'm like, oh man, I must have done something wrong. She's, you know, pissed at me. Like, something. <laughs> Something or I'm happened, mad at her. I can't believe you know? she talked to me like that. So know? that's my egoic interpretation. So, um, and then I can move to my soul interpretation. Hey, what do I need to know first? And my soul's like, just go to a room by yourself for a little bit. You know, that got really hot really quick. So you first just need to align, you know, with yourself. But then when I check into this third relationship, hey, what's actually going on with Elisa intuitively? I might get something like, Actually, she was just feeling very anxious about this work thing she had to do, and it had nothing to do with you, you know, so that already my story has changed dramatically to from it's my fault to actually this is some anxiety going on with her. So that's just a very simple example that it can expand and expand on that. But then the fourth relationship is the soul to soul relationship. So this is the the spiritual relationship that's happening no matter what, if we're conscious of it or if we're not conscious of it. Your parents may not be conscious that they are actually pushing you into your independence and your, the idea uh, and your self-knowing, but that's still happening on a spiritual level. Yeah. There's that orchestration. Yeah. So that relationship is really about stepping back and asking yourself, what, what could be the meaning behind this? If I've imagined for a moment that there is some greater purpose, even in this small interaction, what could that be? So, so that's, that's kind of like the God the lens works. too. Yeah. the God lens, like the mm -hmm. greater expansive purpose. Yeah. And then for real practical resources on our website, holyandhuman.com, we have all these free guided meditations. And I think that's a really great way to start is because it, it yeah. is a lot to kind of come into. So to just have us talking you through how to meditate, to, to connect and it's guided. So we're talking the whole time about what you should be imagining in terms of activating your theta state in your brain. So people love those because they're very basic and helpful yeah. to walk yeah, you through it. Yeah, I can it. see that. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, last question, if you guys, both of you were allowed to give only one advice to our listeners for them to live a quality life, a better life, what would that one advice be? My one advice would be that everybody actually knows how to do this work, that there's a part of us that recognizes truth. And so it's really just about that, that we all have this ability. We don't need to, we don't need to listen to spiritual teachers or somebody else to get our spiritual right. truth, that it's 
it's completely in your hands. And it, all it is is about really just having the courage to know what you already know on that deep level. I think my mine might not sound simple, but it kind of is. But I see it as Earth is a light-based universe. So we live in a world of light and dark. There's good and evil on this planet. There's a lot of contrast. It's very extreme. We can see great love and we can see great oppression anywhere, anywhere we look. Um, so our task of why we come here is to know ourselves as love within the conditions of contrast. So every moment in some ways is a test of can we trust love? Can we find love even if what's showing up physically is not love? And so to me, a spiritual warrior is somebody who's capable of choosing love again and again and again, even if the conditions don't warrant it or, or, you know, it looks that person's not worthy. They don't deserve it. But can we find love in every situation, even if it feels like it's not there or hidden? And those are the healers, the people that can do that transform everything, you know, beyond the energetic ripple effect of that is so beautiful and so powerful. And we all have the potential. We're all chosen to do that. That is our destiny. We can take a lot of time or we can do it more quickly. (laughs) We can push against our destiny or we can cooperate with our souls to, to become more quickly evolved by that process. So I know that might not sound really simple, but my one piece of advice is Talk to love, save yourself time and stress and anguish and the, and do your work and let yourself be transformed by that energy. It is the greatest miracle we have access to. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, before I let you guys go, I just want to thank you for writing this book and I want to thank you for everything you're doing. There is so much dysfunction in the world. I have grown up seeing a lot of dysfunctional couples that it's just... I think it's just, it shows you the possibilities of finding love like you two have. And so I'm, it's not an easy thing to do. I'm grateful that you are letting people access to your life and to your stories. I'm very, very, very grateful that you guys are doing that. I really appreciate that. One thing I want to say too, for people listening is I feel like the, the reason Adam could come to me and I could see and receive him even with some work was because I had already been doing my own inner work of the soul journaling. So if anyone's listening and you're like, okay, great for you, but I don't have that in my life. I think it's like, there's a long time I didn't have in my life too. So just know that when you listen to love and talk, have that courage of talking to your own soul, it orchestrates beautiful events to be able to come into your life. So don't, so have faith, you know, don't, don't lose hope. Love is available for all of us in all different forms. And so as long as we just stay open to how that wants to be served to us. That was the amazing Alyssa Romeo and Adam Foley. If you want to know more about our guest or you want to explore the resources mentioned during the episode, the links will be in the episode description. If you want to dive into similar content, you can find it on my website, kratimehra.com. If you found this episode entertaining, inspiring, educational, I would love it if you would leave a rating and a review on iTunes or share the episode on Instagram. It will help the show grow and reach a wider audience. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. Now I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.